We're glad you're joining us here at Common Thread Online. This is a recording of our community gathering as we do each week to think together about the spiritual journey. At the end of the lesson, we open the floor for discussion, but we'd love to hear what you're thinking as well. On our website are directions to download our app. Once you have it, join the group. What are you thinking? We'd love to connect with you there. Once upon a time, in a not-so-far-away land, there was a kingdom of acorns nestled at the foot of a grand old oak tree. Now, since the citizens of this kingdom were modern, fully westernized acorns, they went about their business with purposeful energy. And since they were midlife baby boomer and Generation X acorns, <laughs> they engaged in a lot of self-help courses. <laughs> there were seminars called getting all you can out of your shell, and the top 12 habits for being the best acorn you can be. There were woundedness and recovery groups for acorns who had been bruised in their original fall from the tree. There were spas for oiling and polishing those shells, and various acornopathic therapies to enhance longevity and well-being. Well, one day in the midst of this kingdom, there suddenly appeared a naughty little stranger, apparently dropped out of the blue by a passing bird. She was capless and dirty, making an immediate negative impression on her fellow acorns. Crouched beneath the oak tree, she stammered out a wild tale, and pointing upward at the tree, she said, We are that. Delusional thinking, obviously, the other acorns concluded, but one of them continued to engage her in conversation. So, tell us, he asked with no small degree of derision, how would we become that tree? Well, she said, pointing downward, it has, it has something to do with going into the ground and cracking open the shell. Insane, they responded. Totally morbid. Why then, we wouldn't be acorns anymore. Here's today's what are you thinking question. The divine is in you, so what? Trigger warning, I'm going to use the word God a lot in this lesson. And just remember, it's an inadequate term for the divine, as all terms are. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> now, once upon a time in a land that is kind of far away, Galilee to be precise, the Christian tradition was born. Now, the Christianity we've come to know in our time has been rooted in a concept of salvation viewed as a rescue operation. We, the acorns in the parable I just told, are a bunch of lousy sinners who needed God's own son to die to get us to heaven. Now, we at Common Thread know this isn't at all how the tradition began. It's how it got perverted over the time, and I don't need to rehash this. Doug has actually spent the past three weeks talking about quite a bit of it, and if you didn't know, he even wrote a book about it, just telling you. And so we know that our tradition's original concept of salvation isn't at all about an acorn rescue mission. It's not about acorn improvement, acorn purification, or acorn perfection. It's about dying, being reborn, and growing, what acorns are meant to do. The divine is in you is something that's been proclaimed a common thread for years. We believe it, and we strive to remember it and act on it. And in the context of our earthly lives, recognizing the divine in each other is a good practice for living into our oneness and bringing hope and healing to our world. But 
There is so much more than this world, so much more than these brief human lives that we live in. In fact, there's an entire cosmos to which we are connected. In that context, why does it matter that the divine is in us, and why does it matter that we're here at all? The Christianity we've been handed isn't capable of holding that question. Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, a 20th century Jesuit priest, paleontologist, and visionary mystic, understood the divine in a cosmic framework and why people were leaving institutions that could no longer tell a compelling enough story. It's not that the world's gone cold, he said, but that the world is ardently searching for a God proportionate to the newly discovered immensities of a universe whose aspect exceeds the present compass of our power of worship. What kind of God is proportionate to all that? You know, last week Doug reminded us that no one can answer with any intellectual certainty what happens when we die, and no one can answer why we're born with any intellectual certainty either. But I think ancient wisdom gives us some hints. The Sufi mystics, for instance, have a saying about the divine, I was a hidden treasure and I longed to be known. And I've been pondering that line a lot lately, this notion of a latent primordial force of desire, God as longing. God aching in that longing. God in the absence of creation as unmanifested love with nowhere to go and love with nowhere to go are words that we also use to describe grief. If this is true of the divine, then what does it mean for us? The divine is in us, so what? I suspect that why it matters is, as contemporary Fran Franciscan theologian and scientist Ilia Delio puts it, that in light of God's primordial grief, God needs us. God needs us to be God. When my brother died in a car accident many years ago, our family was brought to our knees. We had a close family friend named Vinny, who I knew in my childhood as Father McTie, an associate pastor in our parish who became quite close with my parents. By the time my brother died, Vinny had taken a sabbatical from the official priesthood thinking that perhaps he might leave clerical life and start a family. My parents offered him a place to stay and a job while he worked these things out, and what a godsend he was to us in those great days surrounding my brother's death. He carried our family in our pain, accompanying my mother to the morgue, providing a pastoral presence at the funeral home, sitting with us for hours on end, delivering remarks of hope at my brother's mass, staying present after all the other mourners had gone home. Sometimes when I wonder how we made it through the haze of those days, I remember Vinny, and I'm so thankful for his outpouring of love. A few years later, Vinny came to terms with the fact that he was gay, and with the fact that he had spent all those years in the priesthood with his deep suffering, this deep longing to know a kind of love that wasn't permitted to him, and an even deeper longing to be known and to be loved for who he was. This suffering led to a cracking of his shell, and a dying to the self he'd always known. He left the Roman Catholic Church and took up his ministry in one of the more inclusive and affirming independent Catholic churches. We'd lost touch for a while, but he found me on Facebook. I came out to him, and in our shared bond of suffering as gay folk in the Catholic Church, we became closer than we'd been before. Vinny was like a spiritual father to me, and a brother, and a deeply beloved long-lost friend. His oak tree was growing. Vinny had been battling cancer for a few years with some success and was quite surprised when he finally fell in love, which didn't happen until his 70s. He met Steve, a widower and Episcopal seminarian, 
And they would say that not only did they fall in love with each other, but the divine in each of them met the divine in the other and in the love that had been forged in the fires of all the sufferings they'd borne in each of their lives to that point. You see, Steve had lost his wife to illness at a young age and was a father to six children, one of whom had also died by the time they met. Vinnie and Steve married and moved to Germany, and in his marriage, Vinnie was astonished by all the love and joy that filled his life in a way he had never known in all his 70-plus years on earth. His oak tree was growing again, and also it was dancing in the breeze. And then, last April, Steve got word that another of his children had died. His daughter was killed, bludgeoned to death in a drug-fueled rage by her son, Steve's own grandchild. The flight from Berlin to Honolulu promised to be as painful as any journey Steve could possibly imagine, and Vinnie was by now quite ill and weak. And he wouldn't hear of Steve going home to bear the impossibly heavy weight of this pain alone. They made the trip together, and Vinnie and I had a brief chat while they were there. I said I knew from my own experience what a godsend he must have been to his husband and the whole family. He said it was one of the hardest experiences of his life, and also one of the most incredibly beautiful, suffused as it was with such subtle and divine love. He promised to reach back out to me once he got home, but as they prepared to depart for Berlin, Vinnie had a stroke. He made it back home, but we never spoke again. In a very real way, Vinnie gave his life for Steve in an ultimate act of utter self-emptying divine love. His oak tree shot up, and mortal eyes cannot see the top. Such love is devastating, such love is beautiful, and it is how God's love is manifest. Vinnie being God for God and God growing in love. And then here was Steve left to grieve his losses, having lost his daughter and his husband within two months, and now also grieving the loss of his broken and still beloved grandson to perhaps a lifetime of prison. In the years since, I have come to know Steve a bit, and divine love emanates from this man who is a single father again raising a young daughter, who has forgiven and regularly visits his grandson, who pastors a church of hundreds daily, who always asks after my soul before anything else, and who admits his suffering with humility and bears it with amazing grace. Such love is devastating, such love is beautiful, and it is how God's love is manifest, Steve being God for God and God growing in love. Teresa of Avila, one of the mystics Doug referenced last weekend, just this morning, said, Christ has no body now but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. This is where God's love happens, where it grows, especially when we are in our deepest suffering and grief. When our own dear Sarah died five months ago yesterday, I looked around this community, and friends being God for God in the form of love manifest was all I could see. I was taken immediately by the love that Lori and Tim have for each other, that they have for John, that he has for them and that the three of them have for Hawk, and their love expressed now as divine longing for Sarah and love for all of us. I was struck by how people in this spiritual community tapped instantly into our oneness and the divine within each of us to honor Sarah and the love she poured into this community, to hold up her family and to hold each other up while doing so. All the sorrow and pain we felt and still feel at the same time has called forth some of the most beautiful aspects of love, qualities such as patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, and gentleness, you know, what we call the fruits of the Spirit. These fruits 
can only be born in the kind of love that shows up when we face our deepest pain. And man, were they born right here in our oneness with each other, with God and with Sarah. Such love is devastating, such love is beautiful, and it is how God's love is manifest, us being God for God and God growing in love. I do not think for a moment that I am proposing that God invented suffering or wants us to suffer or needs us to suffer or even allows it. It's just that God, who when manifest in creation is infinite unfolding and becoming in a field of endless possibility, might well be powerless to stop it. In scripture, we read of God's helplessness in the particular manifestation of the divine we know as Jesus, the endangered baby born to homeless parents on the run, the agonizing man abandoned by his friends and unjustly accused by his people, the condemned criminal in the act of ultimate surrender dying on the cross. As I said earlier, it seems that God without us is love, but love is grief, love as nowhere to go. God might not only suffer with us and in us, but might just be the origin of suffering in the divine's own eternal yearning to be known. Love unmanifest is merely an abstraction. God's own outpouring of love in every moment, manifesting a creation of infinite possibility, is precisely how God becomes manifest, an oak tree of immense and incalculable proportions. I guess you could say God doesn't need us, but if that's true, then who or what exactly would God be? An eternal acorn, perhaps. Now, you may be familiar with what's called Pascal's Wager. Now, Blaise Pascal was a 17th century French philosopher and theologian who posited that human beings wager with their lives that God either exists or does not. Belief is a wise wager, he says. Granted that faith cannot be proved, what harm will come to you if you gamble on its truth and it proves false? If you gain, you gain all. And if you lose, you lose nothing. Wager then without hesitation, that he exists. I find such paucity in this wager. It's a kind of selfish wager, all about the stakes for me. A wager unworthy, unworthy of a oneness universe and unworthy of a God who suffers and needs us to make the divine manifest, who needs us to grow as love poured out. So I propose a new wager, and we can call it Kim Paul's wager. But really, it's just the wisdom of the mystics throughout the ages. And I grant you, as Pascal did, that this proposition that God needs us to be God cannot be proved. But what if the wager we made were more like this? I will wager with my life that creation is the unfolding of divine possibility and infinite potential, and God needs me to live it. I will wager with my life that my suffering is God's suffering, and God needs me to bear it. And I will wager with my life that God's existence can only be manifest in creation and perhaps in me in a singular and irreplaceable way. I will wager then without hesitation that God needs me to be God. In this wager as but one acorn among trillions in this cosmos of 13 billion years, the stakes for each one of us are pretty low. And as one utterly unique and particular acorn, easing the divine's yearning and loving in a way that no other manifestation in creation can, the stakes for each one of us are also pretty high. How do those of us who choose to make this wager make good on it? Well, we first must be in touch with our own fundamental yearning. If yearning is where it begins for God, so too with us. The yearning of an acorn yet to completely break its shell, go into the ground, die, and be reborn as the oak tree of infinite potential and growth, 
that we really and truly are. This yearning is so powerful that some spiritual teachers will even say that the yearning we feel for God is in fact fact God's yearning for us. As Doug quoted Meister Eckhart last week, the eye with which I see God is the same one with which God sees me. Where does God's acorn end and our oak trees begin? Well, these are questions for the heart, not for the mind. But if you are in touch with your deepest yearning, then you are already on the path to oak tree transformation. And if you'd like to walk that path consciously with the members of your community here at Common Thread, again, jumping off of what Doug talked about this morning, check out the the Church Center app and come join us in our contemplative practices. Every weekday morning, you can get online with fellow Common Thread contemplatives for meditation. By popular demand, we've decided to offer Centering Prayer before our Sunday service now twice a month, including next Sunday, so put that on your calendar. And this week, we'll be kicking off Contemplative Tuesdays, where we'll join each other three times a day in the service of making love, making divine love manifest in this world, in the hopes that one day, as Teilhard de Chardin also hoped, we shall harness for God the energies of love. And on that day, for the second time in the history of the world, man will have discovered fire.
and so indwelling divine, may we seek daily to do the work to break open our shelves, go into the ground of our being, die to ourselves, and make manifest right here in Raleigh a mystical city of oaks. Amen. Thank you, Lindsay. So, as uh, Doug mentioned last week, we've had lots of things to pay for lately with regard to this move. So, as a community, we're not so much behind on our giving as we are simply incurring extra one-time expenses. And thanks to our community's generosity, we're making some progress. Got some baffles going on here, and, and we're moving in the right direction. So, um, just remember what Doug says each week. There is good return when we invest in spiritual community when we give our time, our energy, our love, and the dollars it takes to make it all go, then the community takes those resources, amplifies them, and gives them back to us in the form of a community in which we all thrive. We all give online these days, so you can go to the website now, you can point your camera at the QR code or go to commonthreadchurch.org, find the donate button at the top of the page, and invest what you can in our community. So in a minute, we're going to dismiss the live stream, and here in the room, we're going to do What Are You Thinking? And there's also going to be an online What Are You Thinking? And if you're watching us live online for the first time, you may not know about this unique mark of our community life. It's not just about what the preacher man or any of our speakers have to say. We want to know what you think, too. So I encourage you to join our online What Are You Thinking? session, and you'll see a link in the YouTube notes and also on the front page of our website to join in. And we know it's not always easy to push through the resistance to join a Zoom call, and talk to a bunch of strangers, but I can speak from personal experience because I'm with them at least once a month, that it's a wonderful group of folks who are eagerly anticipating your coming to share your thoughts with them today, or even to just quietly listen to theirs. So find the link in the YouTube notes or on the homepage of our website, and the password is 1417. That's 1417. And with that, let's put one hand on our hearts and remember that we are, every one of us, carriers of the inner light carriers of the fruit of divine spirit, that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, they're all in us. And let's extend our other hand to our city of Oaks. This week, let's look for opportunities to share what's already in us with the people we love, work, and go to school with, looking for opportunities to repair and redeem our world. Amen. Folks on the live stream, you are dismissed, and folks in the room, you are not. If these recordings help you move forward on your spiritual journey, we hope you'll take an ownership stake in the community and support the health and well-being of the community. Go to our website, commonthreadchurch.org. The donate button is right there on the top. Thank you.